0: Our first lesson comes from the Psalms. I invite those who are able to please stand. We will hear all of Psalm 118. Listen now to the Word of God. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, His steadfast love endures forever. And let the house of Aaron say, His steadfast love endures forever. And let those who fear the Lord say, His steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me in a broad place. With the Lord on my side, I do not fear What can mortals do to me? The Lord is on my side to help me. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in mortals. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side, And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They blazed like a fire of thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. There are glad songs of victory in the tents of the righteous, The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not give me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. Save us, we beseech you, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech you, give us success. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, and we bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the festal procession with branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, and I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated.
1: I invite all those who are able to stand for our second reading, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, as we conclude our Beatitudes this morning that we've been in for the last few weeks. Listen now to the Word of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in is great in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Will you pray with me? O Lord, may the meditations, the words of my mouth, and the meditations of all of our hearts be found pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, over the past five weeks, we've been on a journey together. Throughout Lent, we've been studying the Beatitudes in a sermon series called The Way of Blessedness. We've spent these Sunday mornings, and maybe if you're like me, also the weeks in small groups and in personal study, experiencing and struggling to live out these Beatitudes. The series is called The Way of Blessedness because these seven statements on blessing. They give us a road map for what blessing looks like. And what became striking to me as I've walked this journey with my own small group, week after week, as we've gathered to talk about Christ's message to us in these Beatitudes, what we've realized is how countercultural they really are. I think at first glance they can seem trite or cute, right? Like a fortune cookie. Blessed are the... Or perhaps maybe we've just heard them so many times that they wash over us without much thought, without much care, without much concern. But as I've attempted to live them out week by week, I've become more aware of my need for God's grace. I've become more aware of my need for God's courage and for God's strength in my life. How have you found the Beatitudes this Lent? How have you found the Beatitudes? They call us to a different way of living. They call us to rethink, to reform the way we live our lives. They change the way we see the world. Because they're a glimpse into God's kingdom. They're a glimpse into God's economy, into God's heart. They're like a spark in the darkness, a ray of light. And if you don't pay attention... If you don't listen, if you don't look, you'll miss it. In particular, I think they give us a glimpse of what the Christian life is supposed to be. They give us perspective. Perspective. How do you see the world around you? How do you change Your perspective. Well, one way is you change your location. To change your perspective, you change your location. I think that's why Jesus teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. He goes to the top of a mountain. He changes his perspective. If you're like me, maybe when you were a child, you liked heights as much as I did. I loved to climb trees. If there was a tree that you could grab onto, I was climbing it. And if there was no tree around, then I was climbing the fence. I I like to climb so much that um, as children that climb do, I broke my arm twice. Uh, All three bones in my left arm. Two different occasions. I loved heights. I remember the first time we went to a pool that had an Olympic high dive. Like the really high high dive, right? And I remember walking into the pool and looking at my mom and saying, can I jump off of that? Yeah, that's why it's there, Nathan. And away I went, right? Climb the ladder step after step to the top, the descent into the pool. And it is so high when you're a child, right? I remember being at uh, an amusement park in Sandusky, Ohio, Cedar Point. It's home to one of the world's tallest roller coasters. And I remember being there, and all day I could care less about every other ride But I wanted to go on that one. Why? Because it was the tallest in the world. This summer, I'll go to Colorado for a family reunion with Joy, and I've talked the family into climbing a 14,000-foot mountain. Why? Just to say that we climbed a 14er to get as high as possible. When you fly, right, you love, I know I do, I love to look out the window to see how the world changes. Because when you change your location, when you get as high as possible... Everything looks different. Everything looks different. And that's what the Beatitudes do for us. They change our perspective. Not only of our life, but of the Christian life. They make us look at things from a different angle. From the way of blessedness. See, the world around us tells us the strong, the confident, are successful. And Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those who know their need for God. The world tells us to hold our emotions in check, especially in public. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, who see the brokenness of the world and of their lives and mourn for a different day. The world tells us that those with power will always win. Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Those who know that true power comes through giving your life for another. The world tells us to fight for ourselves, to take what is ours. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who long and ache for the day when things will be set right. The world says everyone will get what they deserve. What goes around comes around. Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, those who forgive, time and time and time again. The world doesn't care who gets in our way or how hypocritical we have to be to get what we want. Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, those who are honest. Transparent, vulnerable. The world says sometimes the only way is through conflict to stir up trouble. Jesus says, Blessed are those who make peace, who bring reconciliation. This is the way of Christian discipleship, this is the way of blessedness, and it changes our perspective. But this morning, Jesus is not finished because there aren't seven Beatitudes. There are eight. There's one more. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, Jesus knows what the outcome of living a life of blessedness will be. And it's culminated in this Beatitude. Being persecuted... For the sake of righteousness, this is what awaits the way of blessing. Being persecuted, this is our new perspective. If you live a life marked by humility, by mercy, by mourning, by peacemaking, you will be misunderstood and you will suffer persecution. It's not a maybe, it's a promise. In John 15, 20, Jesus will remind the disciples that like they persecute me, so they will persecute you. And throughout Paul's letters, he will speak of his own persecution and the persecution of the church. And in particular, in his second letter to Timothy, chapter 3, verse 12, he says, all who seek to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Future tense. It's a promise. And so this morning in our passage, Jesus turns to His disciples after speaking this eighth beatitude, and He says, blessed are you. He no longer is speaking in general terms. It's not blessed are those, blessed are they. No, now it's blessed are you. Blessed are you. When people persecute you. But He doesn't stop with this promise. No, He gives them a response. Blessed are you when you're persecuted and this is what you ought to do. Rejoice! Be glad! Jesus doesn't know a whole lot about persecution. That is the last thing we want to do, right? Rejoice! Be glad! Why? Because your reward is great in heaven and... In your persecution, you stand in good company. So too did the prophets experience exactly what you're experiencing now. Elijah had to flee from his life for Jezebel, who was pursuing him, Scripture tells us. The word persecute can also be understood as pursuit. To be persecuted is to be pursued. And this is exactly what Jezebel does to Elijah. Why? Because Elijah calls Baal Baal a false prophet. And stands on Mount Carmel and defeats the false prophets. And so Jezebel seeks Elijah's life. Samson is tricked into cutting his hair. Why? Because people are jealous of God's gift of strength. David is pursued by Saul for his anointing, his godly living. Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego are thrown into a fiery furnace. Why? Because they refuse to bend the knee to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar. Esther saves her people from the persecution of Haman. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, is persecuted for his message of repentance, for calling the people of God back to the one true God. And for this message, he's cursed, he's beaten, and he's thrown into prison. And by who? His own people. And so Jesus, in our passage this morning, is calling the disciples to remember their story, the stories of the Old Testament, that whenever someone lives a life of faith that points to God's reign, that points to God's kingdom, that there will come persecution, misunderstanding, confusion, and so too, Jesus in our passage this morning foreshadows his own life. For he knows what is to come. This morning, we celebrate Palm Sunday, the day we celebrate Jesus as the Messiah, as the Lord over all things. We wave palms and express our joy, our celebration that God has saved us, God has redeemed us. But this morning is also Passion Sunday. And Passion is a word. It comes from the Greek and the Latin to suffer, pathos. So we remember Christ's suffering this morning. Because it isn't long after they proclaim Jesus as the Lord, Hosanna, that they want to crucify him. This is what happens when perspective changes. People want to proclaim Jesus as Lord, but His way of being Lord is not really what they want. See, they want a political leader, someone that's going to overthrow Rome. But Jesus doesn't come like that. No, Jesus comes as the suffering servant, as Mark's Gospel tells us. Jesus shows us that the way of blessing, the way of God's grace and redemption is the way of the cross. God reveals to us what self-giving love looks like in the suffering of Jesus Christ. And if we fix our eyes on Christ's way, we also are called to live a life of suffering, a life of passion. 1 Peter 3 reminds us, For it is better to suffer for righteousness' sake, for Christ also suffered. Once for sins the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. You see, suffering is never just for the sake of suffering. No, suffering is passion. It's love on display for the world to see. So what is it that you suffer? Who do you suffer for? What's your passion? Often the image of fire is used to describe passion. The passion that burns Within us, do you burn for Christ's will and work to be done in your life and in the world? Do you hunger and thirst for the right order of things? This week is Holy Week, the week that we are reminded that we remember Christ's sacrifice, Christ's love that was poured out for us to the point of death, even death on a cross It's an opportunity this week to change our perspective by changing our location. Will you come to the cross with Christ this week? Will you enter His passion, His suffering? It will mean persecution. It will mean misunderstanding. It will mean walking by a different rhythm than the world. It will mean living a life that is defined by these Beatitudes... Do you remember the horrific events of Columbine? I do. I was in middle school at the time. I remember coming home from school that day with my brother, turning on the TV, and on every channel, the shooting was being covered. They stopped all the other programming to talk about Columbine. And over and over, the media kept asking the same questions. How could this happen? How could these young men do such a terrible thing? Those were the questions the media were asking. But teenagers all around the country were asking a very different question. On chat rooms and on the internet message boards were lighting up with this question that teenagers were asking. Would you die for your faith? Because like many of us know, on that day, there were many teenagers that did. Teenagers like Cassie Burnell, Rachel Scott, Valine Schnur, Nicole Nowlin, and John Tomlin and many others that will never know their names, that when the gun was held to their head, they said, yes, I believe in Jesus. And they joined the martyrs of the church, martyrs throughout time and history that have given their lives to follow in the way of the cross. To enter Jesus' passion. Because they gave their lives, because they weren't pretending to believe in Jesus. No, they had passion. Jesus' promise is that persecution comes for those who follow the way of the cross. Martyr, it means to witness, to point to someone or something else. So would you give your life for Christ? There's a song by the band Remedy Drive that asks this question during the chorus, and I love what they've done. You might have heard this phrase before. Their chorus goes something like this. Is what you're living for worth dying for? Because they realize that in our culture and in our context, most of us will not have to answer that question, will you die for your faith? In other places around the world, there are Christians that have to answer that question. But we are blessed that we probably don't. But we do have to answer the question, what will you live for? What will you burn for? What do you have passion for? It's an uncomfortable question. It's an uncomfortable reality. Because although we might not be asked to die for our faith, every single day we are asked if we will live for Christ. To live a life, as Paul says, worthy of the calling to which we have been called. Called to be people of peace and reconciliation, called to be people of humility, called to be people who mourn for those whose lives are hurting, to stand beside the brokenhearted, the vulnerable, and the forgotten, called to hunger and thirst for righteousness, called to be merciful and meek. So this morning, what are you living for?